So this morning, if you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Nehemiah with me, please. We're going to continue our conversation, which we've entitled Forever Friend, and uh, walking with the reality that in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, we have a foreshadow or a type of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that is experienced by New Testament believers. And uh, we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2 together verses 11 through to 17, and then I'm going to just share a couple of thoughts, and um, hopefully that will be of some interest to you. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through to 17. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. But by night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebuilding against the king, rebelling, sorry, against the king? I answered them, no. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us today. So the book of Nehemiah is a foreshadow. It's a, a, almost an introduction to us to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. You will notice that the starting point for rebuilding inside the city of Jerusalem, in spite of its brokenness and its disrepair and its disgrace, was actually the temple of the Lord. And it's so key for us to understand that when God begins to bring restoration to the human soul, he starts by restoring the temple of the Lord in us. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But if all we understand is that we have now been reconnected through God because of the work of Jesus Christ and the temple has started to come alive and never move past into what is more a, a, a work of the Spirit in our lives, in our souls, in our hearts, and our minds, then we will live in a place of disrepair. The reality is that many Christians do. They're born again. They know that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They have their ticket to heaven, but actually their lives are often in disrepair. They try to live for Jesus, but they have no capacity or strength or, or even ability to be able to move forward in the new life that Jesus Christ has provided for them. And many, many of us start to resign ourselves to the brokenness of our lives. But I've got some good news for you this morning. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed. 
but we must understand how that work actually comes to pass. Because without a knowledge of how God rebuilds our lives, we will always be fighting against the Holy Spirit or resisting the leadership of the Holy Spirit and never working with the Holy Spirit to that end. So let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here who's ever bought a jigsaw? Who's had a jigsaw in their life? Yes, I hate them. I absolutely hate them. I can think of nothing worse than spending hours examining little pieces of cardboard trying to find the picture. Have you ever had a, a, a jigsaw where you didn't have the picture on the box? Now, Jane's mom used to like jigsaws, and her favorite thing was to, to work with that if she didn't have the picture on the box, to work to the best of her ability. She enjoyed putting all the little pieces together. As I say, I can't think of anything worse. Do you know, it's much harder for us to do a jigsaw without the picture on the box. How many of us know, have experienced that, that even with the picture on the box, it's hard to do a jigsaw? Okay. Now, what we need as we talk together this morning is the picture on the box. We need to understand what the end result should look like. In our spiritual journey, God has a goal. And that goal is paramount to our walking with him on a daily basis. We are not walking in an abstract reality. We have a clarity from the Word of God that tells us that His outcome for us is that we would be like Jesus Christ. That the work of the Spirit in our lives would lead us till we start to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, respond like Jesus, and operate like Jesus in the world in which He's placed us. We are not laboring in vain. We're not trying to make up a story. There is a story and a narrative and a picture that God wants to reveal to us as we walk with him into the future that he has had us. But many Christians don't know what it is that God is doing. And so consequently, there's all kinds of frustration. Now, I've walked with Jesus for 33 years. One of the areas that I kind of get connected to is the whole arena of prophecy and, and words of knowledge and working with people and treasure hunting in their lives to find out their call. But actually, if I was to ask most of us in this room, what is God currently doing in your life? Most of us perhaps would say, I'm not really sure. In stark contrast to that, if I was to say to you, what's the devil been doing in your life? You'd have a list. It'll be like five things that you can recognize. Does that not tell you a little bit about some of the orientations of our heart, some of the ways that we orchestrate our lives? Christians generally know more about what the devil is doing in their life than they do what God is doing in their life. Do you know, church, this morning that God is always intentional about what's happening in and around your life? There is nothing accidental in the kingdom of God. Where you got saved, how you got saved, why you got saved, who you are now that you're saved, all in his divine plan for your life. And if the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord, and all of our days are written in his book, which is what the scriptures tell us, then today God is up to something in your heart and in your life. And if you don't know what that is, then you could possibly resist what is the work of the Spirit to bring you into fullness. If you have more idea what the devil's doing and less idea than what God's doing, you're probably going to partner with the devil more than you will Jesus. Because the devil doesn't really care how you think about him. He just cares that you think about him. And here's the problem for most of us. We know that God wants us to be like Jesus. But how does he do that? And what is it that we need to do to work with that intentionality in the way that we live our lives daily? 
Today, church, God is at work in your life, his wonders to perform. It's specific and intentional and critical to us, therefore, that we understand how he works. Otherwise, we will be fighting the ministry and indeed the purposes of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I wonder what fruit of the Spirit he's working on currently. Anybody feeling a little frustrated? Give me a wave if you're frustrated. I don't mean now because I'm talking. I mean generally in life. <laughs> Anybody in a season of frustration? Hello, talk to me. Come on, please. Well, maybe the gift of long-suffering is your spiritual reward at this time. You see, we want the gift of long-suffering, but we don't want to be frustrated. Yes? See, frustration is the breeding ground by which God makes us far more intentional about the way we live our lives. Frustration can be to your advantage or your disadvantage, whether or not you see it as the hand of Satan or the work of the Spirit in your life to produce Christ-likeness. When our little girl Emily was about one and a half years of age, the side of her head grew out much larger than the other, and we went through all kinds of tests with the midwife. You know, midwives say interesting things. You're lying her on the same side every time you put her to bed. Actually, that wasn't the truth. She lay on her belly most of the time when she slept. But actually, she couldn't and wasn't able to, to get up and, and walk. She was crawling a little bit, but she'd put her head on the floor and move her body, put her head on the floor. It was very funny to watch, a little bit heartbreaking too. And then her cousins came who were just a little bit older than her, and I could see the groaning in her spirit as they were walking around. You see, sometimes when we're frustrated, it's the breeding ground of transformation. But if we think it's the devil, we won't see the invitation of God in it. And we'll start to complain or even get defeated and say, I will never accomplish this. So if you don't know what the fruit of the Spirit is that God's currently working in on, on, or on in your life, then you could be working against the, the very person of the Holy Spirit, trying to produce in you a Christ-like reality. What about this? Is there anybody here that has found themselves surrounded by people that are less than affirming? Now, don't look around you. That could be very disarming for some people. But sometimes we go through seasons in our lives when there's people around us that actually don't see us the way we want to be seen. People who don't applaud everything you say and do. Have you ever had a season like that? In fact, you feel more critiqued than you do encouraged. Yes? And you fail to say anything because you know that whatever you say is going to be taken down and used in evidence against you. And so you're paralyzed in your communication. Well, what is God doing in the midst of that? You see, if the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord and you're going through a season of allegation or accusation, then rise up, child of God, because it's not the devil that's at work in your life. It might well be the Holy Spirit. God might be producing in you a real clarity about your identity so that you can move past other people's opinions about the person that you are and the call that God's placed on your life. In everything, through everything, and because he loves us so gloriously, God is at work in our lives. His wonders to perform. I mean, I'm shocked that you're here. I'm shocked that you've changed, and I'm sure you are with me. But it's not me that, or you that takes credit for that. It's simply the work of the Holy Spirit. And I've watched Christian after Christian get frustrated because they don't know how it is the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to open up a conversation that will help us a little bit, I hope, to be clearer about what that would be. So let me explain to you some things that may be helpful to you. You are a triune being. 
Turn to somebody on your left and say, I am a triune being. Now, some of you don't know your left from your right, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> now, turn to the person on your right-hand side and said, and so are you. So what a statement. We're a triune being. What does that actually mean? It means that we have three parts to our human condition. The first one is spirit. Now whether you realize this or recognize this, you have always had a spirit. Now some of us have had a few extra spirits. And I'm not talking about Gordon's gin. Okay. But you, your individual reality is that you are created with a spiritual part of your nature and your makeup. And if you're a Christian here today, and you're born again, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, your spirit has been made new. You are a new creature in Christ. So that's good news, but you'd never tell by looking at your faces. That's good news because that's the beginning of complete restoration. And just like in the story of Nehemiah, the first place that Nehemiah went to to start the rebuilding process was to rebuild the temple. So Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven so that your temple, your spirit could be made new. If you are a new creature in Christ here today, your sins have been forgiven the disrepair of the past has been resolved because of the work of Jesus, and you have a new life. Your spirit has been quickened and made alive to the reality of God. Once you were dead in your transgressions, but now you are alive because of Jesus Christ. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. And because of that work inside of us, we have been reconnected to God. Our spirit has been made alive and renewed and because we are renewed and alive, we have been reconnected with God. The very center of our existence is one of worship and praise and adoration to the God who has rescued us from our sin and made us new and alive in Jesus Christ. Now, your spirit is where that relationship with God actually flourishes. Now, you've always been spiritual, but now you've been reborn, amen, You've been reborn into relationship with God the Father. Through the work of Jesus, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, you are now a worshiper. You worship him. Now, many people just leave it there. They think, well, I'm saved. I've got my ticket to heaven. And, you know, I'm connected to God or reconnected to God. And that's the end of the journey. But I want to suggest to you, that's the beginning of the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's not his end game. Because not only are we reconnected relationally, worshipfully, we're living out of that new reality that we're born again because of the work of Jesus Christ. We also have a second part to our nature that needs the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have a soul. Now, I'm not talking like soul, as in soul. I'm talking soul. Okay? So we're not going to get down or anything here. Okay, in fact, the hope is that you'll get up, okay, and be alive and awaken to what God is doing. So what is your soul? Our spirit has been made new. The spirit of God has done a glorious thing in us and begun a great work in us. He is not just the alpha. 
He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He initiated this, and he will work with us until it's completed. So our soul is the command center of the human personality. It's almost like the control area of our lives, and it includes things like this, our intellect. Aren't you grateful that it includes that? Some of us have wanted to be intelligent all our lives, and now the Spirit is at work in us in our intellect. What does that mean? That God, because He has begun a good work in us, starts to change the way we see the world, the way we think, what we think is important, what we think is not so important. God is at work in us. And Paul picks up this theme. He says, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. So not only is our spirit made new, but our mind is being made new. Now, how does God do that? He does it through his word. And he does it by his spirit. You see, there are lots of people who read the Bible, but they never change. So we need more than just the word. We need the spirit and the word and the word in the spirit to make us alive in our minds to the reality of what God has done. And you will know any transforming work that's happened in your life through the work of God in your life has been because your mind has been made new. Your mind has been quickened to the truth and the clarity and the revelation of who you are and who God is in your life. So your mind is the place. It's the battleground. And here's the problem with that. Sometimes we're trying to live this new life that Jesus has purchased us with an old mindset. You need your mind renewed if you're ever going to have the fullness of Jesus in your human condition. Many of us battle with that. We're trying to embrace a future when we're tied like a dog to the past. Jesus has severed everything that took place in your past spiritually. And now we have to come into partnership with him and start to think the way we were created to think so that we can have the full relationship with God that he has indeed intended us to have. So your soul includes your intellect, but it also includes your emotions. Now I know sometimes in church we say, you walk by faith, not by feelings, but actually God gave you feelings. You know, you are a human being. You have feelings. If I punch you, it may hurt. If somebody says something you don't like, it will hurt. And here's sometimes what we do. In our desire to be free, we think if we deny our feelings, that actually we'll start to flourish. And you can't deny your feelings. Your feelings are an important part of your soul. And you need to understand that they, in many ways, direct your life. So your mind directs your life and your emotions direct your life. And some of us in this room, we think that if we just forget what happened to us and move past what somebody did to us, that we'll be okay. But actually your soul is wounded. And just like in the story of Nehemiah, the walls around your heart are crumbling. They're in disrepair. You may have had all kinds of things happen to you that mean you have no control over how people offend you or cause you pain. But the good news today for us, church, is the Holy Spirit who rebirthed us into a living hope with Jesus Christ is at work in our soul to heal us and to set us free from all kinds of things that still have a control over us. So our soul is our intellect and it is indeed our emotions. That's why we can't fake it till we make it. You know how people do that in church? You know, how you doing, brother? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm an overcomer. You know, how's it going with you? Oh, hallelujah, all things work together. 
And, and you look at that person and you think, really? Is that really the truth of what's going on here? You see, I don't think that it's good for us to pretend that we're doing okay if we're not doing okay. Amen? In fact, I think it does a disservice to the God that we worship. Here's what I've figured out. Life is hard. Amen? Up in the balcony, amen? Life is hard. Even on a good week, life can be hard. And if we allow our emotions to be entangled in all of that, then that won't be enough to sustain us. So life is hard, but here's another truth. But God is good. And he's not just good when I'm living on a mountaintop. Woo, woo, woo. You know, hallelujah. There was a guy I met once, and every second word he says, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I say, how is your wife? I know she's got cancer. Hallelujah. No, you don't hallelujah at that point. <laughs> and what he was trying to say is, if I just say it enough, it'll happen. If I just fake it enough, it'll come to pass. No, 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 no. Your soul, where the Holy Spirit is working in you, knows your pain. He is familiar. Like in the story of Nehemiah, he's done a good survey over the brokenness of your life. He doesn't want you to fake it. He wants to rebuild it with you. Amen? And he is really strategic at where he starts. You might think it needs to happen over here, but he may decide it should happen over here. Now, I love Christians because they say all kinds of things, hoping that it will come to pass. So we don't carry on faking anything. We embrace the reality that we're human beings with feelings, with an intellect, and we invite the Spirit of God to work in and through us until we are healed. That the balm of Gilead would restore our souls. That the presence of the beautiful one will somehow take away the brokenness and the pain of our human experience. Now, Christians do a lot of things with their pain. The first thing I think I need to highlight to you is this. They try to understand it. Now, when I first became a Christian, I thought if I understood everything that happened to me, because I knew there was a connection to my brokenness, then I would be okay. And there's this limited effect going back over your life to understand what happened to you. You can't change what's happened to you. Amen? Hello? You can't change. I can't go back and undo the abuse. I can't go back and undo the abandonment. All of those things have happened to me. So in many ways, if I'm spending all my time trying to understand what happened to me, I fail to give attention to what's happening in me. Now, when God begins to speak to us about restoration, he's always present future in his dialogue. You are present past in yours. So God, I feel like this because of this. God, I'm hurting because of them. And God says, I know all of that. But look, today you're hurting, but I'm inviting you here. Who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Yes, you're hurting. That's real. It's powerful. And it's affecting your life. And yes, all of that has happened that's created you to think and be and feel like this. But actually, when I speak to you, I'm speaking about you who've become. I'm talking into your future reality. God is present future in his communication. Now, why is that important? Because we want him to rectify the wrongs of the past. And when he doesn't, we get upset with him. But here's what he wants to do. He wants to rewrite your future. <laughs> Whatever's happened to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and trust me, that happens most days to me, what really is important is what God is inviting me to. Do you know that who the sun sets free can be free indeed? No matter what 
anyone's done to me. I don't have to stay a victim or a volunteer to anything that has happened in my life. I can be free. I can be free. Do you hear me, church? I can be free. And I need to remind myself of that. So if there's somebody from 40 years ago and their voice is still present in my reality, I want to turn the volume down on that and turn the volume up on the Holy Spirit who is always leading me to life. Denying my emotions will never bring me into fullness. They are part of who I am. But I also add to them my understanding of the God who began a great work in me and indeed is changing me from one degree of glory to the next. Someone say amen to that. Amen. So our spirit is what happened to us. It's been born again through the work of God. It's a gift. You couldn't earn it. But our soul is where we need to start working. We need to pay attention and here's why it's important, because God always changes us from the inside out. Now, I know many of us would like to change people from the outside in. When I was getting married to Jane, the pastor said to us, remember these three words, Jane? Come down the aisle. Come straight up to the altar and then turn to him. Repeat after me, Jane. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> well, we had a go at that. Didn't work out so good. But the reality is this church, you cannot change somebody, truly change them from an external point of view. There are lots of people who are compliant to the rules, but they are not in their heart given to God. Lots of people that come to church but haven't really caved in to the love of Jesus Christ. Lots of people who say all the right things, but actually on the inside their heart is distant and disconnected from the one thing that changes everything, which is the life of the Holy Spirit. When I used to work in the youth departments over many years, and you can tell how long ago that was, <laughs> one of the big subjects that would come up all the time in those conversations were how we help young people deal with their sexual desires and, and passions. And here's our advice. It's a glorious in advice, if you don't mind me saying so. We would say things like this. You may have heard this said to you. Stop it and don't. That's the great counsel of the church. Now, often these people wouldn't engage with sexual, physical activity. But I tell you what, they were gloriously awakened on the inside to all of those things. Where would God choose to change people's understanding of sex and sexuality just by external behavior modification or by the transforming work of the Spirit in the heart of a believer. And if you look back over your life, any form of conformity without transforming power has not stayed consistent in your heart and your life. The Spirit of God works from the inside out. And we're preoccupied sometimes with externals and God sees the heart of a person and wants to bring them into wholeness. So we have a spirit and we have a soul. It's the inner personality of a person, the command center, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. And here's the truth. If my mind is changed and my emotions come into partnership with that, my will will come into alignment with the purpose of God. Let me say that to you again. If my mind is transformed, if I have revelation and understanding of why it is that God has invited me to live differently, and my emotions have caught up with that and started to come into partnership with that, 
My will is almost automatic. I will choose God's will over my will. In the book of Corinthians, it says, all things are permissible. In other words, I have a freedom and a liberty, and God has afforded me that. He calls it free will, and we've all got that. But actually, I need to keep choosing to do what's beneficial. What's beneficial is that which I understand to be God's invitation to live a life that's fuller of him. And so I would say to people I'm working with who have difficulties and complex emotional needs that actually the truth is this. You need to behold who God is. And when you behold him, you will have a change of mind. Your emotions will come into a place of connecting with the God of life and your decisions will be a lot easier. Sometimes we're trying to get people to choose life, but life hasn't always happened in them. So God is at work in our soul. And the third area that God is at work in us is our bodies. You know, if my spirit has been made new with, with, the, with the reality of Jesus and my soul is coming into newness because of the work of the spirit, then actually my external life, that which you see, will come into partnership with the purpose and the plan of God. And so we need to understand and discern the difference between body, soul, and spirit. If we're to understand how the spirit brings life to the disrepair of the broken walls of our hearts and lives. So come with me please to a couple of scriptures just to reinforce that point. In 1 Thessalonians 5, I'll give you a chance to just turn there while I take a little sip if that's okay. Paul is praying for the Thessalonians and this is what he says. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Oh, hallelujah. The God of peace who has restored your temple, awakened your spirit to a new life in Christ. May he continue that work and sanctify you completely. I think the authorized version says through and through. Now, can I just pause for a moment? And this is important to identify. I cannot do this by my human effort and strength alone. I can't achieve what only the Spirit can achieve. Now, the Spirit won't achieve it without my partnership, but I can't do it without His partnership. I can't make myself new. Amen? I need the one who has made me new to continue making me new. I need Him to work in me and through me till that new reality becomes apparent to me. And the Holy Spirit is your best friend to bring about that reality for you. And look what it says. And may your whole spirit, say spirit for me, soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the spirit is at work. He has given us new life through new birth and he's at work in our soul and eventually that will start to manifest in the way that we live our lives. That's why when somebody becomes a Christian, we should be patient with that process because sometimes I think we expect too much of people who come into new relationship with God. You wouldn't expect a baby to be able to feed itself. You wouldn't expect a baby to be able to dress itself or even take care of its sanitary needs. When someone comes to Jesus Christ, we must be very careful that we're not forcing that process, but working with the Spirit who's at work in their life. If they're truly born again, God is at work in them. And here's the key when I'm discipling people. I want to work with what the Spirit is doing in someone, not what I think is the greatest priority for them. And when I work with the Spirit, we start to gather momentum and that person begins to change. 
Now turn with me please to Hebrews chapter 4 for a minute. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living. Hallelujah. Three of us are excited about that. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Spirit of God at work in the soul of a new believer or even a long-term believer, because you know the work is never completed until we meet with him face to face, actually separates soul and spirit, giving us discernment as to where it is the Spirit is working in and through us, and indeed our thoughts and our lives and our souls and our intellect and our energies all come into alignment with the purpose of the Spirit in us to make us like Jesus Christ. Now, one more thought on that, if you wouldn't mind. Just come with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 46 to 47 together. Now, this is the story where Mary is going to visit her cousin Elizabeth and uh, there are some things she says here that may be pertinent for us in our understanding of how God moves in and through the life of a believer to bring restoration. Verses 46 to 47 of Luke chapter 1. After Elizabeth had greeted her and confirmed her having conceived the Messiah, Mary sang. Now this is the song of songs here. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So my spirit rejoices. That's that connection of worship and adoration and realignment to the person of God as a result of the work of Jesus who has saved us from our sin and reunited us with God. Amen? But her soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, her soul is coming into alignment with what her spirit knows. Her soul is coming into agreement so that she can grow as an individual. The Spirit has given birth to life, and this life in her soul creates this opportunity for her to grow in her capacity to love God more gloriously. Not just a worship experience, but a life-transforming power. We need the Holy Spirit to change us. We need His power, we need His presence, and we need His leadership. I can't lead the Holy Spirit and expect that I'm going to be growing and flourishing. The Holy Spirit must lead me because he knows everything about what's happened to me, everything about what God is giving me, and the only person who can make those connections between who I was and who I have now become and who I am becoming is the Spirit of God who lives outside of the parameters of time. You know, one time I was praying and asking God to heal something in my heart and in my life, and I had this revelation that in spite of my best attempts, I couldn't get free, but I recognized that the Spirit lives in my tomorrow, and He lives in my next year, and He lives in my 10 years from now, because He is Spirit, so he, His parameters are not like mine. And so I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know where it is in the future that this freedom that I'm crying out for can actually be fully established. But if you could just call to me from there, if you could just invite me to there, Holy Spirit. And you know, the Spirit of God came quickly into my heart because the Spirit knows 
The Spirit knows how to move you from one degree of glory to the next. He knows how to lead you from one uh, facet of life and one facet of revelation to the next. He knows everything about everything, and we know something about little things. The Spirit of God is definitely the one who needs to be in control if we are indeed to become the people that Christ has indeed purchased a new life for us to become. So, we are spirit. Amen? Amen. We are soul. Oh, me? See, that's the bit where the work is. That's where we need to partner with the Spirit of God in our lives. And we are also body. There's a physicality. I love the scripture. It says, those who love me will keep my commandments. Now, now listen carefully to how I see that. It may or may not be just something personal to me. But those who love me, is God saying, I want you to legally come into a place of love and relationship with me? Or is he saying, when you love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind and with all of your strength, remember, spirit, soul, body, when you come into that kind of reality with me, actually, the byproduct of that is that you keep my commandments. You're living in partnership and harmony with the purpose of God for your life. So God is at work. Aren't you grateful for that? Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but sometimes when I look at my life and I see the impoverished state of my soul, I realize there's an awful lot of work for the Holy Spirit to do. I hope he's not too bored. <laughs> I hope that his long-suffering capacity will carry on in me. I'm sure it will. But actually, we need the Holy Spirit to bring healing and restoration. I want to say about that for us. I don't know anyone like the Holy Spirit who knows exactly where everything is in your life and can bring new life to it. There is no one I've ever met who has such capacity as a counselor, as a teacher, as a friend, as a guide, as a mentor, whatever words you want to use. The Holy Spirit is breathtaking in his capacity to understand your story. He is not frustrated with who you've been, but he is grieving, and he's grieving for this reason because you're not fully who you were called to be. And so his lament over your life is not one of anxiety, but one of compassion and mercy and kindness and generosity. He will draw you by his goodness into the life that Jesus Christ has provided for you. So when we look at the book of Nehemiah, we see three things, and I'm gonna just dine on these for a little bit if that's okay for you. We see the temple, the first place of restoration and reconnection. And it's the central place to the spirituality of an individual, and it's likened to our inner man. We have been born again. By the power of the Spirit, we have been awakened to new birth and new life in Jesus Christ. But the reality is that if it's just the temple that's restored and the walls are left in ruin, however good it is that God has saved you, you will never live out the fullness of that salvation this side of heaven. And God wants to work with us, not just to restore the temple, which he's done if you're born again, but to restore the walls of our personality. Our sin had destroyed our relationship with God and our capacity to worship him. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ has restored us through new birth into this glorious temple that is now connected with the spirit of life, Jesus himself, who brings us into new and glorious fellowship. The second dynamic here is the city. 
central to the rule of God in these people's lives was their brokenness. The temple had been restored, but actually Sanballat and Tobias, which are pictures to us of enemy attacks spiritually coming in. I think the word Sanballat actually means sin, coming in and stealing what the blessing of God is doing in a human soul. We need our walls rebuilt. I can't pretend that I'm further on than I am because that underestimates the work of the Spirit. And I can't pretend that I am not without need for the Holy Spirit to help me to restore my soul. I need God to work in me and to rule over me. In Romans 5 verse 17, this is his end game, that we would reign in life through Jesus Christ. Where our lives were once impoverished by sin and brokenness, the work of Christ in us will bring glory to the name of God. And thirdly, there's that whole arena of the land around the city in the book of Nehemiah, which is the context by which God begins his work. And you see, the thing about God is he's not just satisfied with restoring your soul. He has a mandate and a passion to affect the world in you and through you. You see, one of the problems with the people of Israel is they thought that this relationship with God was just about them. They thought it was about God blessing them. Now, church, I want to remind you that if you've had any transforming work happen in you, it isn't just about you. It's about the world and the context in which God has placed you. Your test has become a testimony. Something that God has done in you is always something that God wants to do through you. Is there anybody who's been free from addiction here today? Come on, give me a wave if that's you. Hallelujah. If God has set you free from addiction, he's given you a mandate to work with the Spirit to set others free from addiction. Hallelujah. Is there anybody here who's been set free from unforgiveness? I think all of you should have your hands up at this point. Okay, let's not pretend this is a real problem for many of us. Okay, if God has set you free from unforgiveness, what is his work in you for if it's not to help others forgive those who have offended them? The work of the Spirit is not just about you and your walls being restored. It's about God bringing order to the world around us. God wants to restore a people to himself. And so the land in which the city was situated was intended to be a land of peace and fruitfulness and harvest. But because of the brokenness of the, the walls around Jerusalem, God needed to redeem and he needed to restore. Now, Nehemiah, as we read at the beginning, was distressed by the brokenness of Jerusalem. And he had the most glorious sense of compassion and mercy for the people of God. I want to just pause for a moment and say why I think this conversation is pertinent to us on our journey and where we find ourselves. You see, every week here, in just about every way possible, we commission you to go and make disciples of people. Can I just say, church, that will never change. We cannot alter the eternal word of God. We could have and have maybe at times way in the past had this notion that if we just filled the, be the building with glorious Christians, that that would be satisfactory to God. But actually, there are lots of people who meet in lots of congregations around the city that never make an impact on society. They never change the culture. They never shift an atmosphere. They never lead another person to life. And so we're not, as a church, just wanting to build a great church. Here's our truest, most glorious, and most noble cause. We want a great city. 
We want God to awaken this city to the reality of who he is. You see, and we're even more audacious than that. We believe that God has given us an inheritance in the nations. But if we are lying in disrepair, if our lives are broken and embittered, unhealed and unyielded to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it doesn't matter what we say to another person. Because people don't catch what you say, they catch who you are. You see, if I stand before you and I talk of measles, but I'm actually infected with mumps, you are not going to be infected with measles. No matter if I know everything about measles, what you will catch from me is mumps. And you will catch it gloriously. Because if I'm going to infect people, I'm going to do it rigorously. <laughs> the same is true of the human soul. If my soul is saturated in the love, the mercy, the kindness, the benevolence, and the goodness of God, every room I walk into, every place where I set my foot, every conversation that I have with somebody else about life and truth and hope, they're not catching what I'm saying, they're catching who I am. A new creature transformed internally, forgiven, healed, restored gloriously, set free and set apart for God's glory, and united with Christ for eternity, full of hope, full of joy, full of peace, and full of life. And our witness to the world is affected by our weakness in our soul. Our impact on those outside is affected by what's going on inside of us. And it's of empowerment importance that we get well, that we become whole, that we're set free. It's vital to the work and the ministry of making disciples of all nations for the people of God to not just have a theology of freedom, but a reality of that freedom. To walk in the confidence that God who is in me is greater than anything around me. That what he is doing in me is a message to the world about me of a new king who is turned up in humanity and transforms everything according to his purposes and his plans. You are a walking resurrection story. You once were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. You once were not a people, now you are a people. And you're a people on a glorious trajectory from glory to glory to glory as God transforms your soul and transforms your life and transforms your mind and transforms your will so that when you walk into any room, whatever the enemy is doing, you have a knowledge of the God who is with you and you can say, kingdom of heaven come, will of God be done in this place. And the Spirit, the glorious Holy Spirit, who brought you back to connection through Jesus Christ, to the one who is now living in you, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, wants to restore your life until you sound like Jesus, think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, and act like Jesus to the world around you. And it's important that we allow him and work with him to that end. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand with me, please?
We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are not satisfied with where we are. You are also not frustrated with where we are. But you who knows who we are, consistently open our hearts to who you are, that we may grow to become like Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit. And we need you to come into three key areas of our lives. To our intellect. Just lift your hands for me, please. Thank you. God, will you keep on keeping on with us through your word and your spirit until our minds have been made new. Many of us in this room are living with old mindsets that keep drawing us back to who we were. But we need our minds to be renewed, Lord, so that we can be brought into who we truly are. Restore us by the renewing of our mind, Father. There are old paradigms that need to shift. In fact, I take authority over them in Jesus' name. There are memories that need to go, Lord God. Not that we need amnesia, but we certainly don't want to be tied to something that happened 20 years ago. Father, we want to get over it and move past it and more importantly, move into the new story that you're writing in our hearts and lives, Father. Father, we take every thought captive, every vain imagination, every vain imagination, Lord, from the most glorious one to the most hideous one, we give to you now, Lord. And we ask for the transforming power of your word, Lord, to make us new by the renewing of our mind. Father, give us your thoughts. Give us your mind. You said we can have the mind of Christ, Lord. Help us to think the glorious thoughts of Jesus. Whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, Lord, may we be drawn from this moment towards such realities, Father. Now put your hand on your heart for me, please. Some of us have been so damaged by life that even though God has given us new birth, our hearts, our souls, really need healing. We need the balm of Gilead to come and to release us from the wounds of life, from the weariness of trying and from the wickedness that was done to us. Father, my feelings, I offer them to you right now. Everything that I am, I lay bare before you. I present my internal world as an act of worship. And Lord, I pray that you would come and restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You would come, Lord God, and right the wrongs that have happened to me. Those who have hurt me, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. Any unforgiveness in my heart ties me to who I was. It does not release me into who I have become. And Father God, I give people a gift they do not deserve. I place the cross of Christ between me and those who have hurt me, Lord. And I ask in the precious name of Jesus that his blood would sever every invisible contract between me and that person, Lord, that I might go free, free. If the Son sets me free, I will be free indeed. Now lift your hands right up for me, please. So Lord, you minister to our minds and you minister to our hearts, to our emotions. And now, Father God, the outworking of that is that our will, our choices, our decisions should now come into alignment with what you're doing, 
what you're showing us and what you're inviting us to is life. I don't want to keep doing the things that lead me backwards. They may be permissible, but they are certainly not beneficial. I do not want to be like a dog returning to his vomit. I pray, God, that you would give me an intentionality. Set my heart like a flint towards freedom, Lord. Set my mind like a flint towards freedom, Father. Everything that hinders that, Lord, I take authority over it in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have given me your Holy Spirit to make me whole. So open your eyes for a second. I'm going to dismiss you in a moment. Thank you for your patience. But a number of years ago, I recognized that there's a deep connection between holiness and wholeness. You see, if I'm whole, then I tend to live a holier life. If I try and attain holiness while I'm broken, I can end up in religion. I can end up in self-hatred. I can end up in a whole bunch of things that are not helpful. So it is got to be a priority for me to be well in my heart. I'm 58 years of age. I've had a lot of life experience. But my hope, my dream is that when I get to the end of this earthly coil, I will be more in love with Jesus, more free in my soul than I ever was at the beginning, more healed up in my heart than I ever imagined possible, and more able to love those around me. I do not permit myself to get bitter with age. I permit myself to get better with age. I pray that the Spirit of God... would do such a work in you, such a glorious work in your soul, in your mind, your emotions, and your will, that you will testify one day as you look back. I don't know how you did it, God, but I've grown to such a point. I'm almost unrecognizable. I love you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. And you know why we can have that hope? It says of us that one day we will meet with him and we shall be like him. So one last prayer, and then we'll just send you on your way. But before we do that, the all-important notice of what's for lunch. We have beef lasagna with salad and chicken coma with rice. And you can get your meal tickets, I think, from the bookshop. Please, if you're coming along, to uh, the documentary on the Friday night. Please snap up those tickets. They will go very, very quickly. We anticipate that we'll struggle to get everybody in, so I encourage you to do that. It's going to be a great week as we look at energizing ourselves again in the call of God to make disciples of all people. And I encourage you to be part of that and I'll just play a blessing over you as we dismiss you. Thank you for your patience with me today. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a glorious week. God bless you.